I did not check to see when we did the book of Judges. It was not, it wasn't in the last two years. I know it's been a while, but you might remember that the recurring sort of chorus of the book of Judges was there was no king in the land and everyone did as they pleased. Everybody did as they wanted. Everyone did as they own, their own thoughts guided them. There was no king in the land. And that is terrible. And that repeating chorus is setting up for what's going to come immediately after the book of Judges. So you have, you have creation, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. That leads to Moses, which is Exodus. Then you have Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. And that's all Moses. And then you have Joshua. Joshua takes everybody into the promised land and you get it at the beginning of Judges. This little sort of a rehash. It, Joshua dies at the beginning of the book of Judges. And they kind of replay what God's command to Joshua was. And that's also sort of foreshadowing here's what's going to happen over the course of the next couple hundred years, right? The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, he's talking to Joshua, and he's talking to Israel, and he's talking to Joshua, kind of back and forth. <coughs> I brought you up from Egypt. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you'll make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Okay? So in repeating that, he's kind of letting you know what's going to happen. I said I'd make a covenant with you. You're going to make a covenant with me. And you can't make any covenants with any of the inhabitants of the land. You will break down their altars. But, he told them, break down their altars. Don't. Don't use their altars. Break them down. But you have not obeyed my voice. What have you done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people, the people lifted up their voices and wept and they called the name of that place, Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. So, They've come into the land. Remember how a whole lot of the fighting stopped and Joshua was like, I got my spot. And Caleb came and he's like, there's still giants up in these mountains and we haven't conquered everything. Send me, let me conquer them. Joshua's like, go for it. You can have all that land. And Caleb went on and did more. There are all these regions that they didn't conquer that God told them to conquer. And they were just like, you know what? This is actually good enough. And God said, okay, I told you to get rid of all of that. And you didn't. So I'm going to make all of that a problem for you. It's kind of like the joke, like we moved down into a poor neighborhood. And so as we work to serve our neighbors, we're actually just helping our own neighborhood where we live. Because it's really hard to get the motivation to go someplace else and help those people over there 
when their lives don't really directly affect you, right? At some point, we bought a lot down the street from our house just to get me out of the house so I would walk down the street and I would have to meet all of those neighbors between the vacant lot and our house to get me out there serving all of them. Because we moved into the neighborhood to serve all of them, but it was just too easy to stay home and play Nintendo. So, get out there. So God's like, okay, I know you're all just self-pleasing people, so I'm going to make this a real problem for you that you didn't get rid of all these people, and they're all going to cause you trouble. They cry out. They weep. This is a tricky, funny thing. They called the name of the place. They sacrificed to the Lord. What didn't they do? Like, if I see this happens in my house, this happens with my cars, right? You hear a funny noise. Your car makes a funny noise. And you're like, ah, probably just the weather. Drive, drive, drive. All those lights start coming on on your dashboard. Ah, it's probably just a hose or a tube. I'll just put gas in it and it'll be okay. More lights start coming on. Have you ever been in your car when all the lights came on at once and the car just dies right there on the road? That has happened to me. God says, I want you to wipe all these people out, but you haven't, so it's going to be a problem for you. And the best thing they could have done right then was be like, oh, okay, we're going to go and wipe them out. But all they did was offer a sacrifice. And there's this funny thing that happens a lot in the book of Judges. And, and it'll happen throughout the Bible. The whole book of James is contending about it. There's a whole bunch of mention of it in Hebrews. That yes, turning to God is a thing and worshiping God. But there's a whole lot of other times that then you actually have to do something. You need to take action. God says to Noah, I'm going to flood the whole earth and wipe everyone out. So I need you to build a boat. And Noah says, I don't even know what that word is. But I'm going to sit over here in the woods and watch you do it all, Lord. No. He started cutting wood. He's like, God said to build this thing. That's a, a boat. I'm going to build it. I don't know what it's going to do. But everybody's going to get wiped out. God told me to do it. So I'm going to take action. And I'm going to do this. It's so crazy. If you look through the whole book of Judges, it is a, it is a complete perfect combination of turning to God and then doing something. I'm reading um, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is a really good book, and I try to read it over and over again because it's really um, it's like carving stone. You just really don't get much out of it. If you just read it, you got to really like, whoa. And he has this whole section in there about those that obey believe and those that believe, obey. And which one comes first? Does obedience to God come first? Or does faith in God come first? And he has this whole big explanation of some people need to obey first and that helps them believe. And some people are so far from believing anything 
that if they just start to believe, all of a sudden they start to obey and they start to act. So here you have beginning of Judges. You didn't wipe everybody out. You should have wiped everybody out. Oh, Lord, we were wrong. We praise you. Here's our sacrifice. Now we're going to go back and be with our neighbors that are evil, wicked idolaters. They didn't change their ways. People of Israel did what was evil. This is verse 11. Did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They started worshiping the local gods. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. They bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned and the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. So here they're doing the opposite. Instead of turning to the Lord and then fighting, they're just going out and fighting. So they're still worshiping the Baals and the Ashtaroths. They haven't turned heart and soul to the Lord. But they're like, well, God told us to wipe all these people out, so let's go wipe them out. And God's like, yo, you're supposed to worship me and wipe them out. <laughs> if you just if, if you do that together, I'll do it for you. And we've we've seen other places in scripture. God does the work for them. They don't have to they don't have to lift a sword. They don't even have to lift a foot in some cases. God blazes the trail ahead of them. And so every commentary I read had a cycle in Judges. Some of them had cool graphics. Some of them had clunky graphics. But it always works like this. And it's always happening this way. The people forget about the Lord. The Lord turns them over to the side people. The people cry out. God sends them a judge. The judge delivers them from whoever was oppressing them. They worship God. Yes! And then they go back to doing their own thing. There's sometimes where they even worship God, but instead of worshiping God, they worship a Baal, and then they, they make the cycle spin faster. And what you see through the book of Judges is sort of this digression. It starts out as pure as it's going to be. The purest part of the book of Judges is the first two chapters. <laughs> and then it ends with Samson. That's like the bottom of the barrel, as bad as it gets. You have Othniel and Shamgar. Othniel and Shamgar are awesome. We get hardly any details about them, except they did the two things together. They worshiped the Lord and they fought against the people that Israel was supposed to wipe out. When they put those two things together, they became great and they had all kinds of victory and Israel's land spread and they had peace for like 20 years, 80 years, long, these long spans of time. Othniel and Shamgar. Deborah and Gideon come next. And Deborah and Gideon both feature, this is Israel, but they're really starting to doubt. They're Israel. They're God's chosen people. 
Yeah, but it doesn't really feel like it. So Deborah has the whole deal where um, she is giving wisdom and giving counsel and the, the enemies are attacking, the enemies are attacking and she goes to Balak, Barak, Balak was last week. Barak is this week. Goes to Barak, says, God's going to lead you in victory. God's going to do all of this awesome stuff. Follow him. And all the people start to get it right, right? They're worshiping him and they are doing something about it. I want to emphasize it's not always fight and chop off people's heads. They're worshiping him and they're doing what he says to do. They're doing the thing. They're, they're changing their ways and acting. But remember, Barak was the guy that said, I'll go, but I'm not going unless you go with me. I need you to hold my hand. And Deborah says, I will go with you, but a woman is going to get credit for all of your victories. And so the lady drives the tent peg through his head, that one dude's head, and they all win. But look at that doubt. Look at that hesitancy. So they went from Joshua. God has called us into this promised land. Let's go take it. I don't care if there's giants, right? To a couple hundred years later, God's calling us. I don't know. I need you to go hold my hand. Gideon, the same thing. The same story with him. He was, he was threshing wheat. This is really fun. We've, we have recently done some threshing. And you do it out in the open where the wind is blowing and you're just saving the seeds of the husks. We, it wasn't wheat. I forget what it was. It was uh, some kind of flowers at the garden. You let the wind blow and it blows the husks off so all you keep are the seeds. Well, Gideon is doing that down in a cellar, down in a basement, because if the Philistines see him threshing out his wheat, they'll just take it. That's how scared he is. And God calls him and says, you're a mighty warrior. And he's like, who are you talking to? I'm in the basement threshing out my wheat. <sighs> trying to blow the husks off of it because there's no wind in the basement, right? So Barak and Gideon are, I don't want to go full on and say they're cowards, but they are definitely very doubtful. They are not believing everything that God is saying is going to be fulfilled in them. And so then you get to Jephthah and Samson. And Jephthah and Samson, so Jephthah gets off pretty good because nobody remembers Jephthah and what a scumbag he was and what a bad job he was because Samson was so terrible, <laughs> right? It's like the, uh, yeah. So Jephthah, he was... Um, you know, his dad cheated on his mom and he was the child of that. So none of his brothers liked him. His dad didn't really like him that much. He, he was just not born in honor. He, um, he was run out, run out of his city and he kind of lived in this middle city. where And, and it says that a whole bunch of, of no-gooders came and gathered around him. When, have you, when else in the Bible have we heard where there was a person that no-gooders gathered all around them and joined them. David, right? King David, it was a whole bunch of people that had committed crimes and had debt. <gasps> they all joined King David. No, they all joined David. 
the runaway. Same thing with Jesus, right? Tax collectors and sinners were drawn to him. People lost in their wickedness, hopeless, were drawn to Jesus. There's something about Jephthah that he had, he had charisma, he had leadership, whatever it was. All these people are drawn to him. So he fights this big old war. And it's so messed up for him that at one point in the war, he's fighting. He beats all these guys, kills all these dudes, comes back. The Ephraimites say, hey, you went and fought in a war and you didn't invite us. And he's like, I ask you for help all the time. None of you help me. Come on, let's kill him. And they fight with the Ephraimites. The whole story of Jephthah, you get all kinds of crazy things. This is, he's the guy in the Bible that said, God, if you give me victory today, I'll kill the first thing that comes out of my house. And he kills his daughter, just messed up. Um, the whole fact that they're fighting against Ephraimites shows how Israel is just decaying and descending. Like, is he a good judge if he wiped out 45,000 of his own people, right? That was the whole Shibboleth or Sibboleth. All these people were escaping and they wouldn't let them escape. So they checked their accent. And, um, you know, if you, if you said, do you want to, they'll let you live. But if you try to cross the Ohio River and you say, yuck to, we know you're Kentuckian and we kill you. It was kind of like that, a shibboleth. They, they, would, they would check their accent. And if their accent showed that they were Ephraimite, they were dead. But God still worked through Jephthah. As, as questionable as his origins were, as uh, stupid as his decisions were, as poor a negotiator as he was within his family, God still did his work. So then you come to Samson, and God appears to Samson's mom, there are two old people and an angel appears and she's like, whoa, and she falls down on her face and he says, you're going to have a child and you can't cut his hair and he can't touch any unclean thing and he can't ever drink wine or even grape juice for the Baptists. None of that. And so they have this child and even Samson's dad is like, this is Amazing. This is mysterious. Where did you meet this guy? I want to I want to talk to I want to see this angel. And it's really wild. In this cycle, God shows there are always some people that are really genuinely wholeheartedly seeking the Lord in the midst of all of this idolatry madness. And Samson's dad says, I really want to ask that angel what our child's purpose is and what his calling is. So the angel appears again. The wife comes running in the house. She's like, the angel that told me I'm going to have a baby is out in the yard. He comes running out and they greet him and they say, if you really are from God, let us kill a goat and offer it up to you. And he says, don't offer it to me. I'm just a messenger. Offer it to the Lord. And that is such a great, great test of is this from evil or is this from the Lord? Because the evil is always going to be focused on itself, right? The devil always wants the attention. But to actually say, no, 
I'm, I am not the one to worship. The Lord is the one to worship. I'm just a messenger. All of their idolatry, all of their things, it was all about this gold statue, this spot, this place, this thing. Even now, people are fighting over this land or that land. And God says, I, I'm God. I'll worship the Lord your God and serve him only, right? Jesus says in the wilderness when the devil tempts him. He is the only thing. And that proves it. They make a sacrifice to the Lord. It says the angel went up in the sacrifice. And that's how they knew it was from the real Lord. So Samson is born. And they raise him. Now remember, we had righteous people that would put together faith and works at the same time and bring about change. Then we had people like Jeff, like Barak and Gideon who were putting together faith and works, but their faith was kind of like, I don't know if this is true or not. Uh, and now we have Samson. And Samson... It seems like he doesn't have faith. He's got the weakest of weakest of weakest faiths. And more than that, he's living for himself. So he, he sees this lady and he wants to marry her. But she's a Philistine. And his parents say, can't you pick somebody from our tribe? Can't you pick somebody from our family? And what's happening is starting from the beginning of the book of Judges to the end of the book of Judges. Remember, God said, be separate from them. Don't worship their Baals. Don't worship their Ashtaroths. And now we're going to see the most filthy, awful turnout of what happens if you completely mix in with the Philistines and worship their Baals and you're given over to them. But you're going to see that in Samson. So Samson is not a good example of how we should be. Samson is, I'm going to show you guys the full horror of what it is to do what you're doing. Um, you've heard stories of the kids and their dad catches them walking down the street smoking a cigarette. And he's like, all right, get in this closet and you can't come out of the closet until you smoke the entire pack of cigarettes. So the kids go in the closet, smoke the whole pack of cigarettes. They can't breathe. They're throwing up. It's so disgusting. They come out. They never want to see another cigarette again in their lives. And it worked, right? That's, that's kind of what God is doing here. This is what when Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about this dude that is in just obnoxious sin. He says to the congregation, let him go. Let him go do all of that sin. Let him get the fullness of it. Turn him over to Satan so that he'll turn back. Because if, if he's just tiptoeing in it and he never has any, if the light keeps coming on on my dashboard and nothing ever happens to my car, I'm never going to fix my car. So God says, all right, y'all, I've flashed all these lights on your dashboard as much as I can. I'm going to show you what happens. And so Samson says, I like this girl, get her for my wife. The parents say, no, can't you pick somebody else? And it says they did not know that this was how God was going to strike the Philistines. 
Is this how God wanted to strike the Philistines? Not necessarily. But no matter what, God is going to use Samson. God birthed Samson. God created Samson to be born, to serve him and to serve his purpose and to save Israel. And so he's going to use Samson, even Samson's sinful, selfish ways to accomplish his task. And so they have a wedding and on the way to the wedding, Samson sees a lion. And with no weapon in his hand, he kills the lion with his bare hands, throws it off to the side of the road. Was it self-defense? We don't know. Seems just crazy and weird, right? He's going back another day later, many days later. He goes to check out the lion that he killed. Why would you do that? (laughs) Right? Well, the same reason why we do... Why we post selfies on Facebook. Same reason we're asking, did I do okay? Is that all right? He's trying to get some kind of affirmation. He's trying to get some kind of confidence build because the thing's dead. It's unclean. And what's rule number one for Samson? Don't let him touch any unclean thing. And so in mixing with the locals... He sees that it's full of honey and honey is awesome. And bees really will build a hive and whatever kind of hidden thing that they can find. And he finds that honey and he eats it. Oh, it's so, I mean, remember this is a guy who's never had grape juice before. He eats some honey. He gives it to his parents. His parents don't even know where it came from. They eat it. He makes a riddle. Out of something powerful, something sweet. And he is at the wedding and they're all celebrating. And now he's going to get even more affirmation. If he can make all these guys look like idiots. If I can make my wife's family look stupid and look make me look smart, then, oh, then I get even better, right? I mean, he's just craving this, this approval and this, this status. So he says, if you answer my riddle... I'll give you 30 suits, full costumes. But if you can't answer my riddle, you have to give me 30 suits. Now, people didn't have extra suits, okay? You would have to be really rich to have an extra outfit. You kind of had your outfit, and that was your outfit. And you might fix it up for a wedding, but it's really pretty much your outfit. And so they threaten his wife. Now, remember, this is a person that Samson saw and he fell in love with her and he wanted to marry her, even though it'd be a whole lot of trouble. And the Philistines say to his wife, you better tell us what the answer to this riddle is or we're going to burn you up and your father and your whole house. We're going to just going to kill you because you you brought Samson here to make us look like a fool. All right. Great thing to do at this point. If you're Samson's wife, go to Samson and say, they all said they're going to kill me and my father if I don't help them with the riddle. That's not what she did. She did not come clean. She did not come honest. She said, oh, you hate me. You won't tell me the riddle. You don't really want to be married to me. And so he tells her the riddle. And then you have one of the great lines in the Bible. 
The guys come, they say the riddle. What else could it be except for a lion and honey? He says, if you didn't plow with my heifer, you wouldn't know my riddle. <laughs> he just called his wife. Yeah, bad. So he's like, okay, I'll get you some clothes. Here's what he does. Remember, God is using him to get at the Philistines. The original mission was to worship God and honor him. Don't serve the Baals. Don't make a covenant with any of them and wipe out all the people. So Samson is like, I'll get you your 30 clothes. He basically goes to the next town that's a stronghold. It's like if I got in a fight in the corner bar and I owed a guy a whole bunch of money. And then I just went down to Chasers and robbed everybody and came back down to the corner bar and said, here's your money. He says, I owe you 30 outfits. I'll go get them. He goes and kills 30 guys. Do you think he laundered the clothes? Do you think after he kills these 30 guys, he's like, oh, now I'm going to make them all nice and clean up all this blood. He shows up. Here's your 30 clothes. And everybody would recognize where those came from. It's like he went to the next biker club and all the biker jackets, right? Say where they came from. Here they are. They're all like, whoa, yikes. Okay. He shows up. Wouldn't it have been better if his wife would have been honest right from the beginning and said, Samson, these guys are trying to do this. He probably would have just killed them. So then Samson leaves. He's gone for a year. We don't have any explanation of what in the world. Why is he gone? Why did he leave? Why didn't he take his wife with him? He comes back and they gave his wife away to somebody else. He says, oh, now I have a real reason to be mad at you guys. So he gets a bunch of, and it says different translations say different things. And I had a really good explanation of this. He gets the foxes, he ties their tails together, he lights it on fire, and he sets it loose in all their grain fields, and all their grain fields burn up. Okay, the best way to do Bible study is to slow down and think through what was this really like when it really happened. So if I think it said you had 200, was it 200 foxes? This is not something that's going to happen in a lazy Sunday afternoon. This is going to be a major undertaking. I read one, one translation said he tied foxes together by the tail and put a torch in between them. And that finally made some sense. Like lighting foxes on fire is one thing. To just catch two of them, tie them together, light the rope on fire, and set them out in the field, that makes a lot more sense. But he's doing this repeatedly, day after day after day after day. And it's kind of like warfare. You know, it's one thing if I go into a field and I light your field on fire. It's another thing if I send, you know, a dozen foxes into your field and they're on fire. They're going to cover a whole lot more territory. They're going to spread out. The place that you're going to have to fight the fire is going to be really spread out. It's just absolute chaos, right? All right, I got to skip ahead. This awesome thing happens. Samson shows that the Philistines and the Israelites do not get along and should not mix. That if you mix them together, you're going to get catastrophe. You're going to get terror. And so God uses Samson 
to make the Israelites a really bad taste in the mouth of the Philistines. At one point, a whole bunch of Israelites come and they come to take Samson. And Samson's like, what do you want? And they're like, you have made us a stench in the nose of the Philistines. The Philistines hate us because of you. So we're going to turn you over. He's like, are you going to fight me? They're like, we're not going to fight you. We're just going to turn you over. He's like, okay, you promise this isn't like Israelite to Israelite fighting? They're like, no. They're like, okay, time yet. And he goes willingly. And he goes all the way to the Philistines. And they're like, here's Samson. He's like, thanks, you guys. (laughs) Rips out of the tide, kills a couple thousand of them, wipes them all out. Big old war. The Israelites are like, this is not what we thought was going to happen. Why? Because we thought we were making a treaty with the Philistines. We thought we were making peace with them. We thought we were, we were okay on good terms. And Samson is like, no, no, a thousand times, no. And then he goes and gets drunk. Shoot, Samson, come on, man. So you're not supposed to touch an unclean thing. He eats honey out of a dead lion. You're not supposed to touch any wine or ever get drunk. He gets drunk all the time, gets him into all kinds of trouble. He fights all these fights. There's one last thing he's not supposed to do, and that's cut his hair. And so he falls in with Delilah. Delilah is obviously working for the Philistines because every night she tricks him and she says, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And he wakes up and he's tied up with all these different stuff. What in the world? He breaks out of it. He jumps out of his bed and he's like, what? And she says, you don't like me. And what is this thing that Samson's been trying to get? Approval, prestige, trying to earn it. And finally, he tells her, well, it's it's my hair. I I want you to like me, so I'm going to give you my secret. Because that's the game she plays. And he gets his hair cut, and he loses his power. Tim Keller has some awesome stuff to say about all of the Samson stuff. And you can look up on his podcast and listen to him talk about Samson. And um, that was the last straw. That was the last thing. You know, Worship God, have faith, and do works. Do good deeds, do these things. And you didn't do the last of the things that I told you to do, and you gave up the last bit of your faith. And so now Samson is powerless. He gets his eyes gouged out. They put him to labor, working in the Philistine um, capital, milling grain. He's, push, he's just like a mule. They would have a mule You know, you go to Spring Mill and they have the water wheel that turns and grinds out the grist and you get cornmeal out of it. They would have a donkey and they would have a donkey turning it. So there's a donkey on one side, probably not a talking donkey. And Samson on the other because he's so strong and all he can do is make their cornbread for him. They bring him up. They say, let's have a party. Let's celebrate and laugh at old, stupid, blind Samson. And there's this one line in here that says, And Samson's hair began to grow back. After all the foolishness of Samson, his hair growing back is a sign that he does actually have some faith. He's got a little bitty stubble, a little bitty stubble of faith that God is true. And for the first time, you guys, ah, for the first time, He cries out to the Lord and it says with his little stubble of faith, God, please give me strength one last time. 
He knows he does not deserve. He deserves to be blind. He deserves to be part of the show, the Philistines castle. He's like, God, I believe it. I believe the two things. I believe that you are the God of Israel. He doesn't say all this, but he is showing it by his prayer because he's not praying to Baal. He's not praying to the Ashtoreth. He's not praying to any statue. He says, please, God, give me strength one last time that I can die with these Philistines. And he pushes over one of the supporting columns of the castle and 3,000 Philistines die in the collapse of this building. Dude brought down a whole building. It says that there are all this royalty that were up on the roof of the building watching him perform down below whatever they were doing to make fun of him or poke fun. I mean, he's blind. So they can mess with him all they want and he can't reach anybody or do anything. And so it says he killed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. And that is going to completely mess up the Philistines. And so by his death, Israel is going to have peace for another 20, 40, 80 years. Because it's going to take so long. Philistines aren't going to be worried about raiding Gideon and his wheat and all that stuff in the basement. Their whole uh, Washington Monument Capitol building White House has collapsed into this heap of rubble that's just going to throw them into utter chaos. So why in the world is this in the Bible? <laughs> it's a, I was talking to Cindy this morning. We were going through all this and how messed up Samson is. And she's like, you got you to explain why this is in the Bible. And uh, so you can thank her for my good sermons. Um, this all plays into... There was no king in Israel, so everybody did whatever they pleased. Because what book comes next after Judges is Ruth. And it proclaims the coming of King David. And this king is going to be such a great king. You guys, you're going to see what it's like if you take the promised land. If you have a king and you serve him. And of course, we know what happens. We spent the whole year talking about what happens. He's not the best king but he's the best king that we've had until Jesus. And all of this paints the same picture of worship God. Don't mix in with the Baals. Don't mix in with these foreign gods. Serve him. But then also do something. Don't be like, oh man, we really messed up. Let's have a worship service. And then keep messing up. But don't change everything and then worship yourself. What a great thing we did. Oh, we really changed our way. This is the whole self-help movement, right? I just got my act together and I did this. No, give glory to God. And then all of a sudden, as we give glory to God and we serve him and we change our ways, we repent in our actions. You have the whole New Testament. You have Jesus. You have the book of Acts. You have awesome, great works. So next week, we are not going to talk about David. <laughs> we are going to move on and... Um, we will still be in the Old Testament for a little bit, but then we'll move into Advent and it'll be good. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you give us a guide, that you give us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to show us how to change our ways from living a life of death to living a life of life. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would help us this week, that you would bring things to mind. That you would show us where we're compromising with the Baals and the Ashtaroths, which are really nothing. Show us where we're compromising and help us to fight our way back to you. To be pure and holy in our affections only after you. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you, Jesus. Amen.